people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset gonna mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wonder. So all I know is samba deer, but the more the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Alright, well um, guys welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm sitting here today with a return guest. Um, I've got the owner of Boulder Creek Archery, Pat Tidings. G'day, Pat. Yeah, g'day, Tobes. G'day, guys. Uh, yeah, good to be back. Uh, we'll try and relay a bit of information for you again on on uh, NZ and that. But, uh, yeah, how you all doing? So anyone that follows myself or Pat would have um, seen last or not last, in May, we um, went to the West Coast to NZ. So that was my first, I did go to NZ before that um, for the Arrowhead Magazine competition win there and shot my red. But prior to that, um, I hadn't hunted in NZ. So I was a bit of a first timer and uh, Pat and I had talked about it for pretty much for, yeah, for a while, for quite, quite four a few years. years. Yeah, he'd been prepping, telling me... Um, Get me ready, and then then finally the opportunity came where no one was going in with them this year, and um, I was keen to film. So yeah, I got to go to the west coast and have have the time of my life in there hunting. And so we're going to give you a bit of a recap on the west coast and the do's and don'ts from a point of view, following on from uh, Herbie's podcast where he'll talk about the three guys going in uh, having minimal experience to. Um, Myself coming in, going to the West Coast with Pat, who's been to Hunted NZ, so what, 15 times? Yeah, it'd be something like that now. So it's, North uh, Island, South Island, yeah, Fjordland. Yeah, mainly mainly the South Island. So a couple of trips into Fjordland and uh, I think seven, eight, nine, something like that into uh, into the West Coast, chasing tar. It's, uh, yeah, well, obviously one of my favourite hunts to do, so pretty accessible for everyone. And if anyone's wondering where the... The, uh, hopefully we've got it sorted by now, the video. We, we should have it sorted by the time this podcast gets released. Um, but, yeah, we'll have a little film up, pretty sh- a short film on what 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 drives the um, people to hunt the West Coast over anything else as their only option in NZ. Um, there's something definitely about it, especially for Pat, yourself, and just other guys who out of all the choices to hunt yearly and drop some coin on, spend some holidays, two, everyone pretty much has to write two weeks off unless they cut it real fine. But there's something different about West Coast New Zealand if people keep going back constantly. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's one of those places that uh, it certainly gets hold of you, you know. It's, um, it's a place where you, you learn... Uh, and grow yourself. Um, you, you find new limits. You get a little bit, uh, I guess, more, what would you say, game or um, 
yeah, you know, you 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 want to you want to push the limits for your own personal self. It's 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 and it's one of those places that allows you to do that. You just never know what it's going to throw at you, um, and it's one of those places you step back in time. And if you do take the time just to stop and absorb where you are one of the few places in the world that you can do that and just kind of think, well, yeah, it's really, it's unchanged. Or if, if it is changing, it's just through, you know, natural ecology doing that. So it's a very, very special spot, that's for sure. Very, very minimal. There's, there's, when you go in there, except for the few square metres that the chopper lands at and maybe finding an arrow that's under the snow from the exact spot someone shot a shot at an animal a couple of years beforehand there is no evidence you can stand on top of a mountain there is not an ascaric of evidence of human occupation anywhere you don't find water bottles or, or drink bottles or plastic bags or anything you just as, as if you've walked in once you step out of that designated campsite or helipad it's walking into you you could put yourself in position as if you're the first guy to ever step in there yeah yeah absolutely and uh i think you you certainly takes a little bit of time to uh to, to gain some knowledge on the block that you're in and we've been lucky enough to draw uh the same kind of two blocks in all the time that i've been in there and and um so we've we've certainly gained some knowledge over the years of where you can get to and and where you can't and i think that the special thing about it too is we've gone back from year to year and realized that that uh, geography has changed so there's obviously been some you know tectonic Earthquakes. movement <laughs> yeah um that that creates that and that just adds to it you know i mean there, there's there's uh and it's probably a fairly well-known fact but every 320 to 340 years is a major adjustment uh on that tectonic plate which sits under uh the west coast and and it's actually due, <laughs> due to happen again literally any day. And there was an article in, in one of the local newspapers uh, basically starting to prepare people with the fact that if this and when, well, not if, but when this happens, you're going to have to be self-sufficient for quite a period of time uh, if you're one of the lucky survivors. So, yeah, it's, it's not something that you think about so much when you're in there. Um, but you don't think about it driving down the highway mm. and the fact that if it had an earthquake in that split second you cannot turn around <laughs> that's it you that's are stuck it. where you are yeah as, as so uh, you know in that sense it's it's yeah it's mm. one of those frontier kind of places that that can that can ultimately change dramatically um yeah, over, yeah in, in a matter of seconds so mm. so for anyone that doesn't we can't is is an extensive extensive hours of talking on this subject so what when people talk about the east coast and the west coast of new zealand so it's just the eastern fall of the range and the west coast so pretty much the west the the range runs down the west of the new zealand south island when we're talking the the westlands or the south west corner or whatever and that's some of the remote most remote country in the world and it's so rugged and 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 the it'd have to be up there with one of the most testing hunting environments, which what draws people in the fact you can be 20 degrees one day and sunny and getting sunburnt to minus 20 the next day with a blizzard and stuck in your tent. So there's lots of things, but 
the west so it's probably what uh, it'd be about maybe a maximum of 50 k's into the the great divide to the the point where it becomes west coast and east coast and and the east coast isn't actually the east coast it's the eastern fall of that center dividing range so yeah correct so the um the west coast you know uh you can literally you know if you're in the right position you could see the uh well you could see the ocean I think what, what you've got to remember with the West Coast is there's pretty much nothing between there and Antarctica. So it's got a lot of ocean to be able to generate some, some fairly wicked weather. And, uh, and certainly that's, you know, that's what happens quite often. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, for someone going in there, that's, that's probably the most important thing to remember. Don't become too gung-ho and, you know, think that, because it's uh, the forecast says it's it's fine for going to be fine for a couple of days that that that's how it's going to be because it will change quickly and uh, yeah I've you know I've often told people that you know say for instance when they were say buying a tent you know they were saying oh will will a three season tent suffice in there and and look at times it will um, and even at times a four season tent's going to get flattened so. I tend to go in a little cautious, even though I've been there plenty of times. And, and I think you'll find that whoever you talk to in New Zealand, especially New Zealand hunters, everyone's been humbled in those mountains. And uh, if you don't heed the warning when it gives you a, uh, a second chance, then, yeah, you should. You're a fool if you don't because it'll, uh, it'll bite you pretty hard. That's for sure. So, so accessing... Through a certain, you can walk into the West Coast any time of the year if you want, but you can only land the chopper, is it for two months or three months of the year? Yeah, so it's, that's right. It's two months, basically eight, eight week long periods uh, in the Landsborough and the Hooker Valleys. Uh, so that just gives you, if you apply for a, what they call the tar ballot, it gives you, and you're successful, it gives you the opportunity uh, to hire a chopper uh and um yeah get flown into a designated landing site uh, that's that's all you've drawn literally if you're really adventurous you can walk anywhere you want up and down that valley but geographically you will um yeah you'll come to some fairly abrupt halts um if you if you think you're going to walk all over it so the blocks are big enough for you know ideally you know two to three people some of the blocks are big enough for four and obviously in a group of four, there's, there's often, you know, a couple that are a bit more adventurous than others. So, you know, it's, it's suitable for everyone. Yeah. And they're running um, May, June. Correct. Yeah. I think the first periods um, at maybe even the end of April or certainly the first week of May, uh, right until the end of June. Um, the weather after that, yeah, dicing with some, yeah, pretty significant um, winter weather. Um, yeah, no, it, it's great. It's great to have. To, it's, it's really good to see a nice snowy tops and everything covered in snow, and you can see the tar walking easy. But it's nice in the sun. But the minute that blizzard rolls in, you get 150k an hour winds roaring through all day and all night, and two foot of snow, and you you just can't leave your sleeping bag because you're so cold. It, it doesn't become so romantic as hunting at the end of June. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and even early season. Uh, and speaking of that, even either side of the valley, 
Um, so the Lansbury runs kind of north south, and on that um, on that I guess western facing uh, sorry eastern facing slope, you can imagine the sun the uh, the sun will sort of rise in the morning, peek its head around the, uh, you know the end of a ridge, and and literally you know in some of those blocks two hours later it disappears again, yeah. and uh, so. You can be on the the uh, shaded side of a valley, and you cannot get enough clothes on uh, to stay warm. And your buddy can be on the the, the opposite face, and he can have his shirt off. Yeah, he, you'd be looking up. Yeah, yeah, so. blowing steam in in camp, and glass someone up on the tops in the tussock, and then walking around with the shirt off. Yeah, yeah. So we um we went. Where we go April, start of April. No, no, sorry. Uh, second of May, we went over. Yeah, Fourth of May, we flew in. Yeah. So, so we uh, landed in Christchurch. You can land in Christchurch or in Queenstown. There's only two roads to the west coast from those two points, um, two main passes. And and it's sort of a good, what is it, eight hours? Or f- uh, so, no, it's, it's about, uh, look, about six hours from Christchurch hours. and similar from Queenstown. Um, it, it's just it's usually cheaper to fly into Christchurch to be quite honest. So and and the car hire is probably a bit cheaper in um, in Christchurch. Yeah. Yeah. More variety yeah. to choose from. Yeah, there is. And uh, so, why we we ended up so when we flew in so you're going to think about we've got to think about eating because you can't there's there is little shops but Fox or any of those small West Coast towns are like the 1950s and really have a limited range. Of foods so um, we flew in and first thing you did is remember all the shit you forgot so we went to <laughs> like there's so much to pack or stuff you just don't want to pack because it's cheaper to buy it there yeah. so we went to the hunting and fishing and one other hunting shop did we go to uh, mainly hunting fish so, so yeah once we got to Christchurch you um, there's obviously certain things you can't fly with on a plane one of them is gas canisters um, so you'll you'll definitely need to go to an outdoor shop or a hunting fish to um, to get yourself a, a couple of gas canisters. Um, you're limited to about two two hundred gram or two thirty gram, I think they are gas canisters on on the choppers now, and you can't take LP cylinders. So um, just just remember that if you you know it's all well and good that the chopper can take that that weight, but they have restrictions now. Explosive materials. Yeah, unexplosive uh, materials. Yeah, so, so yeah. yeah, so yeah, you'll you'll need to find yourself a, um, a fish and hunt or something in Christchurch, and also then there's uh, there's kind of two supermarkets. There's a pack and save, and there's uh, what's the other one? Um, it's basically the Woolworths equivalent anyway. Can't think of what it is now, but yeah, it's it's relatively speaking. Uh, us and Kiwis uh, more or less eat the same, so you can go get everything you require at this um, at this pack and save uh, at the supermarket. And then and there's a like as a Bunnings right near Hunt and Fish as well. Correct uh, yeah. in Christchurch there, so um, good idea to touch down and just do a, a think of all the gear that you something you may have lost because there is food shops over at that first, what's that town? Yeah, Hockatika. Yeah, correct. It's so, got a, a, yeah. a big shopping centre. But any of that other stuff, you literally get to the West Coast and unless you know some other hunters, you can't you can't get that stuff. There's a couple of ag shops there, but they're really limited in supply. So Yeah. 
It's it's a good idea to um, to write yourself a list uh, of exactly what you need for firstly your base camp, um, and look, it's it's all well and good, and people say, oh, you know, you, you don't need any of those luxuries, but just a f- couple of folding chairs, you know, a folding table, and uh, and a tarp that uh, becomes a communal area, um, you know, that that's money well spent. It really is. Um, You're going to pay for the chopper, so it's going to cut in 400 kilos. Correct. Or 40, if you got the opportunity, and it lands 10 meters from where you're camping, and and like you're saying, chairs, it's wet all yeah. the time. It's it's it's. We saw our camp with the tarp over it. We we had rain for like three out of the seven or eight days. Eight days when there was three or four days of solid rain, you can't. What are you gonna? You can't sit in your one man tent in base camp or whatever. And but those are the small luxuries you can afford to take a nineteen dollar fold up chair and and yeah. a like a throw twenty bucks is nothing for comfort when you're in camp plus a ten dollar tarp. Yeah, and here's a little tip for you too. If uh, as far as camp boots, there's a um, there's a, a shop in or in most of the major towns in the west on the uh, South Island, certainly in Christchurch and Queenstown. I know there's there's one. It's called uh, the what was it? The it's tra- like a bilo, uh, like a golo. Yeah, it's kind of that two dollar shop kind of version. I can't remember. It's, it's called the warehouse. That's what it is. And, um, yeah, certainly find the one in Christchurch and go down to the boot section and there's basically, there's insulated gum boots. So they're gum boots up to about your ankle and then there's insulation. And they're, they're Velcros. Above they're that. That's right. So they're Velcroed. So they'll cost you about 29 bucks or something and they're yep. the best camp boots <laughs> yeah. that you will uh, ever invest in. So. You can walk around in the snow in them and they're just... Mm, yeah, you take totally your, take your hunting boots off. They're not they're not rubber or anything. You just have them in your tent. You need to get a piss. Because you, you know, open them up, you just slide them on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were yeah, they were well, and they're waterproof. They're just yeah. So yeah, any of that stuff between uh, Bunnings and and the warehouse, you'll get everything you require for uh, for camp. That's for sure. So so we um yeah don't go into the supermarket hungry. Go <laughs> go in as as you would with a list from home. Get what you want. Make sure you got food that is can get wet in containers. Um, we bought a ton of Ziploc bags. But regardless if it's in plastic tubs, we found out at the end of our trip that even with a good tarp and plastic tubs, nothing is West Coast proof. <laughs> so um, make sure even your food that, unless it's in its own plastic stuff, just buy Ziploc bags, buy plastic bags. Um, and plastic tubs are easy. You buy a an $8 plastic tub from the warehouse and throw half your stuff in it. And they're just like our, our warehouse or crazy Clarks or whatever bargains over here. And it just makes it easier in the chopper. You can put your, and then easier in base camp to keep everything organized. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, so then we, uh, then you, you take your designated route around to the West coast. So, which is a lovely drive in itself. If you've never been there, um, if you've got time, take time. Um, don't rush over. There's plenty to see. There's lots of beautiful scenery and uh, famous bits, movie bits to, to see on the way over. And then we, uh, they, everyone fly out of Fox for the West Coast. There's another uh, south of Fox. There's another helipad. Uh, no, there's actually one north of Fox. So you'll you'll hit the water row first. Uh, there's a helipad there that you can fly out of. And um, that's obviously a fairly famous uh, river. 
that and the Karangarua, which is uh, which is further south of Fox. Um, but but yeah, if you're flying in with James Scott, he's uh, one of the main uh, helicopter companies over there. He um, he flies out of oh, he's about his helipad's about twenty k south of Fox, and uh, yeah, you pretty much all meet there on the day that you're. Um, that you, you're flying in. You can park. He's got parking for your hire car. Correct. Pretty safe parking. So what are the two, or is there two or three? What are the main companies if someone's thinking of booking, they've got to look? Yeah, certainly. Ja- James, James is, he's grown up flying those mountains for yeah, 30 years or whatever. So. He's fifth generation there. So they were there when it was still a dirt road, I'd reckon, down the West yeah. Coast. Um, but yeah, certainly he's he's the only one I've used. And, and look, a lot, a lot of guys fly certainly into... Um, into the Landsborough and into the the hooker with with James. He usually runs two choppers when when it gets busy. Um, yeah, so he honestly he's the only one that I've I've sort of ever used over there. But there is there is other companies. There's a list of companies that you get given when you apply for for the ballot. So and the West Coast is pretty ordinary for phone reception. I'd say there's half of the residents don't even have mobiles because <laughs> it would be pointless because they just don't have reception. But yeah, just keep that in mind. If if um, you got to get in contact with people like this, it's, um, I know that when we're trying to contact James on the way down, he'd be on part of his property, or he'd be flying, and he's got no phone. He's not no mobile phone reception. So if you're talking with, make sure you've established a good channel of communication with your chopper pilots because it's all weather dependent. Um, you get a morning fog roll in or a morning cloud bank come in, and that's going to dissipate in the afternoon. Even though you're booked in to fly out that morning, if it's a low enough cloud bank that's blocking a pass over the mountains, they won't fly. So you need to maintain good communication and build a relationship with your pilot, a few back and forth emails when you first start communicating. And then when you get over there, let them know you've landed and you're heading over and what's the weather look like. And then you know, James is pretty good or he he runs a business in town and you talk to the you know, the the shop in town and they give you the information as well. So just remember that that communication will it can save a lot of frustration um, yeah, keeping in check with your your chopper company not just showing up on the day and trying to ring them ring them the day before make sure then they'll say no nah, it looks like fog probably don't show up till nine even if you're flying out at eight they may say oh no just show up at nine we, we know what weather it's going to be they live there they can they can tell you um, that's just something to remember and the phone reception get over there if you've got Telstra or someone you activate international roaming before you go over or buy a sim card over there buy a prepaid sim card to, so you can use your mobile phone and then again you can still only use it in fox and for about 5k's either direction <laughs> same with any town it's pretty much gone the minute you drive out of town into those mountains yeah yeah no that's for sure so yeah. we um we we flew in early didn't we we got over there early and the the um the opportunity due to communication is we had the opportunity to fly in a day early there was no one there and so we, no one was flying out of our block. And the next day he wasn't flying anyone out or said he wasn't sure. So he just flew us in that, uh, that day. So we're ready to hunt the next day, um, which was another good reason to keep communication because we were going to spend, spend the night in Fox, set all the gear up. And we actually were sort of slightly rushed. We just pretty much emptied the car into the chopper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just... But that's, that's how it is over there. So, you know, unless... 
Um, I guess if you're the first week, you know, te- technically they could fly in Friday or Saturday, but we're about the second and second or third period, I think. So no one had been in there either into that. No, break, well, that, that's the thing. See, so you you got to remember that if um, say some Kiwi guys draw it and um, you know they look at the weather map and and technically they're supposed to fly in Saturday, but the weather may only allow them to fly in on the Tuesday. Well, you can imagine they've only got three days in there and uh, some of them think, well, that's a fairly expensive chopper ride for three days. So they opt out and go elsewhere. Um, And so then that leaves that week open. And then if the next group turns up on, say, the Friday and it's uh, convenient for for James or, you know, the weather's telling him that it's going to, you're going to be able to fly in better Friday than Saturday then he'll fly you in on the Friday if that block's been vacant. So yeah, he won't um, do it if there's people in there. There's no, no, no that's, that's there, correct. But... He, he, he still may if he's going to pick those people up. So it, like Toby said, it's all weather dependent. You, uh, you certainly take advantage of, of those fine flying days, whether it be a day either side of, of the technically the day that you're supposed to fly in or fly out. So, yeah. So it's a pretty good as a as a first timer, and and Pat would be pretty de, not desensitised. It'd still be a, a good fun trip, but you're fairly well chatting to James about what's going on. And I was just in I've been in a chopper plenty in the Kimberley um, and a couple of other places, and the chopper flying's not too bad, but it's a pretty good introduction to the mountains when you you lift off off that dairy country, the cattle country, and then straight up over the forest and then into the massive expanses of these valleys. And it's a really, it's a pretty cool way to get introduced to the West Coast is to fly over half of those massive mountains and, and get an appreciation of, it's all right looking up at them, but looking down from them is a whole different story. It's like, oh, I'll just go to that. Yeah, I'll probably walk up to there and then uh, yeah, lift off and then they just keep going up and up and steep and... Yeah, and then yeah. you see a tar stand on top of a, <laughs> a ridge line running. Yeah. You, you, you figure, you don't know, it just gives you a bit of a reality check on where they can go and you can't. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, that, that first flight in really makes you feel just how insignificant you are in the big scheme of things. And um, and you just, it, it people, you will have heard it, I've heard it, I've talked to people now, we'll just walk out. No, no, you're not just going to walk out from where your chopper into. Not, no, you'll come out about 400 kilos lighter um, <laughs> if you get out. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, you know, we all kind of have a little bit of a joke about it, but the reality is in the last four years that I've flown in there, uh, three of those years we passed choppers uh, on the way out. Um, there was choppers flying in to retrieve bodies. And um, so it happened again this year. Yeah, exactly right. So it's it's the sort of place that you, yeah, you just you remain humble, or you'll become humble. Yeah, every every that's that was a big one this year. Like literally a few weeks after we left, some of the boys passed that that young fella heading in, um, who tried. I think the story was he tried to cross a swollen river, but someone's there's people that are still in there that have gone fallen into crevasses there's other people have died from exposure Mm. um washed down rivers multiple things it is not there's not too many other places um in the world that are so easily accessible that you won't return from so easy to get in there but 
it's not it's not something to take lightly like it it people die all the time it's not uncommon so it's just a, a thing to think about first so so when we set it up our base camp i i i didn't know what to expect i was expecting a sort of a few tents around a circle with a fire in the middle and uh, a few bits of gear piled up but it, it's your base and it's your comfortable zone and if the rain sets in you're stuck there for a few days so as you've said the tarp so you want a good bit of dry space because they measure rain by the hour over there they don't measure how many millimeters you get in a day they tell you how many millimeters per hour you're going to get so she's pretty and they they had i think in that eight days we're in there they would have had a couple hundred mil of rain they had 130 in 24 hours which yeah. yeah we were stuck in tents for that that was just that period let alone either side of that that period so yeah it's uh it's quite amazing i mean you can imagine the catchment of that that valley and uh you can literally you know hear the decibels of the river start to uh to increase and you can hear the the boulders you know rolling down the river um james was telling us before we got there i think it must have been through the through the summer or um, certainly early autumn, they had a metre of rain in a day. And even from when I was there last time, where we crossed the river, um, it had certainly changed uh, to the point where there was, there was boulders, like, you know, three times the size of a car sitting in the middle of the stream that weren't there prior to, um, you know, the year before. So you realise just how much power that, that water's got. Yeah, and there's, and there's plenty. Yeah, plenty of it. So setting up, yeah, we we um had a nice tight. So we're in opposite Percy Creek, um, which has only got what there's four blocks past it, and then you're at the head of the uh, land. Correct. So you've got the Arbor Rift on the on the same on the true right, so the same side of the river. Um, you've got um, opposite Percy's, um, obviously on both sides of the river, and above that you've got Shelter Hollow and and Bubble Creek. Uh, so yeah it's it's got a, i think it's the base camps at about 500 meters of elevation and um and then once you climb up to the tops i think we got up to about 17 1800 meters yeah. or so yeah i thought that to mountain behind us was the top and then there was a fellow the other day over at um Zora canyon videoing and the head basin we can't actually see the top of the head basin mm. from Percy Creek, at, even at 1,800 metres, when you look from the other side, there's another step above that rim that's out of sight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, we had a small bit of ground. We put a tarp up. We strung, you, how many metres? You brought a shitload, like 50 metres of rope or something in. Yeah, no, probably a bit of an overkill with the rope, but, uh, But it was yeah. to maintain that. We could, have, we could just created, like, a spider's web and then had the tarp sitting on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which... Didn't work in, no, in the end. The tarp, in the end, it didn't work. The tarp was actually a bit big, to be quite honest. We could have gone a couple of metres uh, or at least a metre and but probably our, a couple of metres shorter. Well, but, the, but anyway, it was... Well, our, se our second day in, so we flew in a day early because the weather may not have been right the day after, and he was right. Literally, our second day in there, it started raining. Yeah. And we had rain all day mm. i'm pretty sure yeah, um yeah no it, was, it wasn't heavy but it was just consistent just consistently consistent wet rain and you don't want to be stuck in base camp inside your own little tent so base camp you opted for what did you have um the hilberg yeah i had the staccata i um so 
Uh, we've, we've obviously tried a few of the, the uh, Hilbergs now. Staccata's uh, a two-man expedition version. Um, so you had enough, you had a two-man sleeping space, so you and Harrison were in that space, but you also had two vestibules to allow yeah, for correct, your gear. Correct, your, so, your you know, it's quite bag. a spacious tent. It's certainly a nice base, base camp tent. Um, four season, obviously, but... Um, yeah, no, so it's, you know, you want, you want space. You want to have a bit yeah. of space. You don't want to be, you don't want to have a base camp. Because you're on the chopper, it's hard going over, flying over from Australia, always just opt for the second load of luggage. You're always going to have a car. You're not going to have to carry it. If possible, you've got to have a hire car, so have a, your clothes bag and then have a gear bag. So mm. we took, we were fortunate enough that you took that, we had base camp tents I had a two man, I think, or a one. No, I might have. Was it a one? Yeah, no, it was. MS, it was a two man. The two MSR. man, yeah, MSR two man, and you had your two man tent. And then we had a tarped area, so we Correct. had personal space that you could stretch out at base camp when you need to relax. You didn't be stuck in, and you didn't have to pack up or set down if you went for a spike camp. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's if not you too can bad. afford to do that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely need two tents if you're going to spike camp. There's no question. I mean. You know, if you pick the right weather window, I've I've done it with a um, you know, done it with a a woman um, uh, bivy before, uh, but it but it's certainly um, yeah, you know, you, you wouldn't want to get stuck up the tops in a bivy, that's for sure. Uh, no, we were up there for what? Oh, yeah. I suppose you got a bit chilled the day before. I I was in my tent for thirty hours. You would have had to been in there for thirty eight, yeah, forty hours, like yeah, something like that. So. It just becomes a mind game, you know. I mean, it's a little bit extra weight, but uh, you know, it's well worth it. Yeah, look, take take a, you know, take a book or something like that up with you, just a novel or something you can read or you know, yeah. an ebook or whatever you've got. Uh, so we also took in into the base camp. The we did have our cookers and we cooked on them most nights, but these are all novelties. If you can afford it, if you can't afford it, so be it. It's good to have a table. If you can afford a little table, again, um, some people have friends. But you've got a mate over there who runs a and b and they allow you to use a container and you put a couple of plastic tubs in their containers. If you guys know any Kiwi mates, um, it's well worth lining them up to leave some gear there, even as a group of you that know you hunted every year. Um, I think Gibbo's got a mate over there he stays with as well. I'm not sure. Like, um, yeah. And they, there's other people have all got mates and they have that extra gear. But in base camp, a table is really handy, really. Because you're wet all the time. Again, everything's wet, continually damp. Um, in most places, you want to keep stuff off the ground. You don't want to keep all your... Yeah, yeah. correct. And, and you'll find even in most of those base camps that if it does rain, regardless of what you do, you're going to get water running through the camp. So uh, just having, you know, stuff or having the ability to get stuff off the ground, um, again, it just keeps the mind in a, in a better place for when, uh, when you do, do get an opportunity to, to get out and hunt. So, so what, did, what was your – so how did you stem for that? Did you base camp, like you said, you just had a tent to start with with no tarps up? Uh, no, we always took a tarp. I can remember the first trip. I think there was uh, myself, uh, the two Southwolves, and uh and jared viner and and yeah no we we um we kind of we'd done a little bit before obviously so we kind of knew what to expect so we just um all sort of chipped in and and bought a tarp and and um you know we had our own tents so i think mm, uh, maybe mark and paul might have 
might have been in one base tent, but um, yeah, no, same same sort of deal. Uh, I don't think we had a table, but I've sort of invested in one of them since. Uh, you can, you know, obviously get a folding table at you know, two foot square and it folds out to sort of 4v2 or something like that. And yeah, it's it's just, it's invaluable. You know, you can store a little bit of stuff under it. You can also, you know, have your cooker on it. And, and yeah, and like you, you can run one of those, uh, take a fry pan and run a gas thing. And you now you see a lot of people having a fire, but you noticed it took a few trips in for you to realise that last year having a fire, this is a theory is, that, well, it's not a theory. It's pretty obvious when you think about it now mm. that the smoke, and yes, can smell it. Certainly, last year Harrison and I we went in and uh, we ended up shooting tar like a couple hundred meters from camp, and it was probably the first year we never ever lit a fire, and um, because like Tobes just said, you know, technically a fire will never start on the west coast. It's just just too damp. L- lightning's not going to start. No, it's just all moist. All. So. You know, it's quite relevant to think that, you know, as the tar switch on quickly to, to the sound of rotor blades, uh, also, you know, they're going to switch on to the smell of smoke. They're just going to, you know, certainly vacate that area or they'll be nocturnal in that area. So, Well, I, I saw a nanny, like, directly above. She would have been 50 vertical metres above on that lip when I went for a walk. Yeah, correct. We're just, just walking around with a young one. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was a good... Yeah, we saw... Yeah, not not right in. We didn't. We spent only two days in camp, pretty much. Um, the rest of time we're in the tops. So, but yeah, that's another. Yeah, if you can or you can't. I know the boys said uh, have a at the end of their hunt they had a fire starting competition because it was so wet <laughs> they couldn't even get a fire going a few years ago. And mm. you and uh, Adam and Benny and that. Was yeah, that was get kind of the going. entertainment for the day. I think trying to get the fire going or keep it going. So. We, we did one on our last day, but it, we got it cracking pretty quick. We yeah. were lucky we found some dry wood. I think that spot got the sun for more than 20 minutes. Yeah, so. So when, yeah, so, yeah, this is a tip we don't, the, the fire, so have a table, have a, if you can, if you can afford to run with a, a, a bigger tent so you can have all your gear in there and it's secure. And some people will, will hunt from um, base camp. Some, some camps are halfway up. Like, is it Zora Canyon or what's the one next to Zora that? Yeah, Zora or Heinstein. They, they, you're way up altitude. You're at like yeah, that's seven right. or eight hundred meters already. You're on the top of the Correct. the beach forest and below the tussock or the not. It's not tussock. It's more like a, a heather bush or a scrubby hide massive holes <laughs> plant. Yeah. That's slippery. Break your ankle, kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's all the the, the campsites and there's a bubbly bubble creek. Is that the one? Oh, that's right up ahead. What's the one behind next to us? Where the camp's pretty much near the tops, and you come up where them fellas came over the top. Uh, yeah, that's so. That's um, Baker Creek. There's yeah, Baker two, Creek. Two so landing sites at Baker Creek. There's a top Baker and a bottom Baker. So. Yeah. So you got so if you there's it's all a matter of learning and research is what you want to do. So if you're hunting the beach, it's generally not. I I don't think I've only done it once. You elaborate on it. It's not as strenuous as doing the tops because the top bit can be the tar generally either on the tree line or right up the top of the tops. They, they don't seem to hang around the middle or you don't see them in the middle as much. No, correct. You, you actually, again, getting attuned to their uh, environment and, and I guess to their predators and their main predators got rotor blades humming on it. So you can imagine on a clear day, I'm, I'm 90% sure, 99% sure these 
these tar realise that a clear day allows choppers to fly. So where the country looks perfect for, for tar to inhabit, and indeed it is, they realise they're quite exposed in that country if, if they happen to uh, be there when a, when a helicopter does come over. So um, certainly the wiser older bulls will, will hang right up high and or they will be um, tree around treeline and, and kind of poke their head out of treeline you know, right on dark or, or in, early. In the uh, monkey scrub, like on yeah, that monkey scrub finge, which is just correct yeah. hard to find them in. So um, I know Harrison, he kind of, he when he was with us, he did a bit of a solo mission um, on the, the downstream side of, of opposite Percy, so uh, technically it was uh, Baker Creek. He was he was at, and so he he got up um, just above um, tree line there and, and camped there. And um, which people from Baker Creek aren't going to walk over to because it's a hell no, of a walk right over the correct. top of the mountain and then back down the other side. Yeah, yeah. correct. Um, and yeah, no, he boundary. saw some you know he saw some good animals there. But I mean, you, you can. You know, you can see good animals anywhere. So that that's that's more or less what I was going to say with the campsites. You got no choice really. If you put in a ballot, you draw what you draw. But if you're not total physically up to it, if you look at someone like I'm not a super machine, but if you look at like Gibbo or yourself, Pat, or some of those Kiwis that they'll camp, um, or as we did camp and we climbed to the tops. Other camps are already pretty much on tree line and go to the tops. Um, they're already there, uh, but you can, there is good hunting and good numbers in the beach. And the more they cull these uh, animals with choppers, the more chance I think you will of finding the better numbers in the beach and along the fringe. And, and it's not super hard yakka. It's only a, a certain sort of 400 meter strip, 500 meter strip, and they can even be on river levels. So don't get deterred by, by um, not being a super fit dude or mobile because you can hunt from base camp and the odds of shooting one are probably as as much as on the tops. The difference is you don't see them till the last minute. Yeah, either that or certainly uh, if you if you're gonna hunt that that bush line, just um, you know find a few slips and uh, and get there at, at the right time of day. And the right time of day you may think is is late evening uh, or certainly early morning, but um, yeah, I think you'll find uh, more often than not those tar sort of coming out. Uh, you know, around that two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, they'll start to move, and so I'd I'd certainly get up on those slips around that that period of the afternoon, and uh, you know, you got as good a chance as anyone of uh, of bagging yourself a tar if if you uh, if you make that effort to to get up to those. Yeah, we we went to the well, we went through one slip to the next, um, and there's tons of them. So a slip is where the west coast. It's pretty much just rock, <laughs> and then as the rocks get smaller and smaller down to dirt, this stuff grows on it. And the more layer of the dirt it is, the bigger the stuff that's growing on it. So a slip is where they've had a landslide or there's a creek, and it's just pretty much taken all that dirt off and flushed it down the river. So you got a big patch of nothing. It's just a it's just a creek, but everything on that surface is slipped off, and so green pick grows on that slip, and it's heavy, generally heavy monkey scrub in the top few hundred meters but the bottom few hundred is just nice beach timber and it's slippery but you can get to the edge of that beach and glass sections of these slips where they'll come out and chew that green pick yeah that's correct. on the edge of a slip 
Yeah, so, right, right in the middle of the slips, obviously just boulders, you know, just rocks because it is an avalanche chute more or less. Um, but certainly on the edge of those is uh, you get a bit of pick and they'll they'll certainly cross over those going from one piece of bush to the other. Yeah. So that's that's kind of your opportunity if you're um, you know a little bit restricted um, as far as you know your physical movement, then then that, that's your best bet. You know if you make the effort to to get um, you know two or three hundred meters off the river even up into one of those slips and um, yeah, just, just, you know, sit and um, yeah, do a, do a bit of ambush hunting, I guess, at the end of the day. So in base camp, you have the option with more weight, you have the option of carrying more clothes, more warmer gear. Um, you can run a heavier sleeping bag. Depends on if you're going to spike camp or not. So when people saying you need all this ultralight gear, if you're flying into one of these ballots to the West coast with a chopper, you have in reality, it, you have pretty unlimited in what you can carry within that that 400 kilo weight. Um, so you're pretty safe with gear. So we're going to elaborate a bit more on now. So we, with the opportunity, everyone likes to see the game. And in the tops, it becomes more of a mind and a, and a physical challenge to get to the top. So we, after what, we get a sunny day, you check the forecast and we'll do for five or six sunny days. And talking about weather rolling in, that changed within two days. That weather forecast changed within a day and a half. So we were forecast five days. We, we we packed. We had enough if we rationed it out to get six days, which is what we pretty much needed. But we we rationed out our food for four pretty relaxed days and five days at a stretch and six days at a real, like, not we weren't starving or anything, but we just go back to a meal a day. Um and so that's when you want to change your gear and upgrade to that the tops you can't escape the wind in the tops generally you can't escape heavy snowfall you can't escape the rain so when you're down in base camp if your base camp is at river level or down in the beach forest you have a better chance of escaping the wind so it's not as important on having the higher quality gear even though the wet weather is so now moving to the tops the gear we wanted to take up to spike camp, we wanted to run less. We wanted to run less weight, so I think I had twenty two kilos. You had twenty four, and we're still running heavy because I had a camera. I had a camera, a gimbal. We both had tripods, a drone, whatever, and then found out it's illegal to fly a drone without permission. But um, all that stuff for filming, plus plus our gear, so. Well, we'll start on, say, our shoes. So if you're going to be in the wet and the cold and rock and damp crap, what are, what are people going to be looking at for their boots? Yeah, certainly don't don't sell yourself short on a few things, I guess. Um, you know, going over to the West Coast, you, you're certainly going to need a decent tent. You're going to need a, a decent set of boots, um, you know, and, and some decent rain gear. You you may you know cop it sweet um, or or get it sweet I should say as as in reality we did over there on this trip you know it wasn't that cold um, it was too it was too warm yeah it was too warm in 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 some ways but it's certainly yeah you know for a first timer Toby got a a fairly nice introduction you yeah. might say yeah, we got I mean, a little bit of wet weather and. And, you know, we got stuck on the other side of a creek due to that forecast being a day early. But I guess if I was going to give someone some advice, um, 
Plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, plan for the worst, hope for the best. But if you were, you know, the reason we didn't go to the tops the first day uh, was that was sorry the river was uh, too swollen. Um, certainly don't underestimate a river. Like it's just, it'll sweep you off your feet that quick. You won't know what's happened, and and you've only got to get your head underwater, uh, and you'll you'll lose breath because we're talking glacial. Um, fed rivers so all year you can round. imagine it's feeding off melting ice yeah, all year round correct so the water temperature's I'd know pretty cold I'd know it twice that's right Toby <laughs> Toby kind of uh, right yeah I got a got a little bit of bravado mixed up with ability and and, uh, and my stick yeah, was too short <laughs> and went uh, that's right and went went for a bit of a dip but you know as as we, well, we smile the... about it now but in reality that that little bit of a mishap uh, can turn from you know us having a bit of a bit of a chuckle and a laugh about it to him going under and uh, you know smacking his head on a rock or his hand going down hard and snapping a wrist and and yeah. stuff like that. So or, or even people that have an odd pretty good ability to handle the the cold water and anyone other people like even Harrison was pretty cold just waiting waist deep, but someone else could have easily taken. Gone under and been gone into a mild hypothermia. Yeah, it'll, it'll, yeah, that's right. It'll take your breath away. So uh, yeah, just just be mindful of that. And and if it takes an extra day before you can get across a river, well, so be it. You know, that's that's it's no if, big if drama. If you can't yet. see it, you can't that if it's dirty, it's carrying particles. It's flowing faster than normal. Yeah, absolutely. That's just glacial fed stuff. So. Um, uh, the other thing I'd say is if you're going to cross a river like that, as as I did, um, take a couple of extra days' food. It'll be two kilos just extra that you've just got to cross the river with. And um, when you do go across a river, just unbuckle your, uh, your pack. Uh, have your um, sternum strap unbuckled and your waist strap unbuckled. And that way, if you do end up going under... Uh, basically, you can get out of that pack fairly quickly. And don't don't worry about losing it because there's yeah you can the, replace the pack. You're and, not going to and they're not yourself. that it's going to sort of just fondle. It's going to fly around the rocks, and you probably get to a point where you could get it back. There's yeah. a good chance you can get it back with yeah, a stick exactly. or whatever, or weight in. Yeah, yep. don't worry about disappearing because it's not like there's a four hundred yep. foot waterfall. And and if it does disappear, so be it. Go back know? to base I mean, you still you live to fight another day. Yeah. Uh, so you take a bit of food across. In a, in a dry bag. In a dry bag. Anything that you don't want to get wet. And I'm talking sleeping bags, some warm clothes that you're going to sleep in. Um, obviously, some of your camera gear. Anything that you can't food. afford to get wet. Uh, yeah, you know, just just put in a dry bag, and that's um, it, it's, it's, it's probably one of the. If you were going to say, you know, if you put in a top five list of things that if you're going to leave base camp and go on a on a trek on a spike camp, it, dry bags would definitely be in the top five as yeah. far as items to have. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, over the years, I guess I've refined my gear. To the point now that there's nothing in my pack that hasn't got more than one use, you know, probably apart from your sleeping bag. But um, yeah, you've just got to, uh, you know, you've got to refine your gear and, and try and have things in there that that have multiple uses. And uh, and then you can, you know, literally, I can remember one year, I think when Harrison came over on his first trip, I carried something like thirty-two kilos to the tops, which is just it's crazy, really. But um, 
now I'm down to 24 with a drone. So, you know, I'm saving saving 10 kilos. Obviously, the packs of, of you know, all your gear has become far more efficient and refined. And, um, yeah, certainly as you go along, um, you know, if you can invest in that sort of stuff, it's certainly worthwhile. Generally, that kind of deer, dry, pa- uh, dry bags, if you look after them, they're going to last you for years and years and years. Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. And, and get the ones that have got the um, breathable bottom, is it? Correct, yeah. So we, we tend to use a uh, Cedar Summit Event dry bag. Uh, they've been around for quite a while as a compression bag that you uh, usually put your sleeping bag in and compression straps on the side. But now you can, um, you can buy that sort of stuff. Uh, basically, we stock that sort of stuff as well now, where um, you can physically push the air out of of that uh, of that dry bag once it's uh, sealed. So. so we we got off. I forgot we we sort of got off that. <laughs> we went into spending and gear and things, but we got off our subject of uh, boots to start with. So you hear people talking, oh, Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex, waterproof this that. One thing I've learned is it doesn't matter if it's waterproof or not. If it's waterproof, your feet sweat and your socks are wet. If it's not waterproof, water gets in from the outside. So there's a sort of a, a win-lose, win-win situation. But when it's that cold in the West Coast, you don't your feet don't generally sweat. So you should have waterproof, but not necessarily meaning that if they're Gore-Tex doesn't mean they're going to be waterproof. No, correct. So you got to remember that uh, a lot of the moisture too gets into your boots from from your, your pants. pants or your you know your gaiters or whatever. Gaiters are a pretty good thing. Um, to, to keep a fair bit of moisture out. But um, yeah, I think the, the biggest advice I can give with boots is regardless of what people advise you as to being the best sort of boot, buy a boot that suits your foot. Like uh, joggers, you, like runners. Yeah, you know, you, you basically, if you if you need some art support, you can obviously put, you know, buy um, aftermarket inners um, and stuff like that but, but you're going to need quite a robust boot with um, with a stiff shank and that'll give you uh, certainly better value for each step because you only need you know the first two inches of your toe onto a ledge and you can lever the lever yourself up uh, with a stiff shank so so a shank for anyone who doesn't know is a stiffener through the sole of your boot Correct. so it's like you're putting your whole foot down and instead of your foot flexing and all the muscles in your foot having to be rigid, the boot supports your entire foot just off the toe. Yeah, that's So correct. as you're climbing, you're less fatigue on your feet. Yeah, uh, they're usually cramp-on compatible as well if you get into the real steep stuff. Um, but yeah, certainly a boot that uh, one of the main things, I guess, is to look at is the width of your, your foot um, on the ball of your foot. Um, you know, a lot of these European... Um, boots or a lot of those mountaineering boots the majority actually are made in Italy but some styles are certainly uh, lean towards a a narrower kind of um, foot width and um, whereas you know a lot of Aussies have quite a quite a wide foot they've probably run around as kids in bare feet for the first you know five years or certainly if they've lived in the bush they would have and so um, you have quite a broad foot and therefore, you need a toe box that's, uh, that's suitable for that foot. And it's not just going into a shop and, and trying on a boot and walking around a, a flat floor. It's a matter of getting on a boot ramp. Um, and hopefully, most shops will have one. Unfortunately, most don't. But 
you know, being able to do that and even better being able to put a pack on with some weight on. As and, your foot expands. Yeah, and, ext- and and descending down your boot ramp. And that'll soon tell you whether you, you know, your, your, um, your little toe or your big toe are going to get uh, jammed in the front of that boot. And um, if you're feeling, you know, those two toes uh, while you haven't got any weight on and while you're on a flat, flat floor then uh, you, it's certainly just going to accentuate that uh, accentuate that, that problem when you get in the bush. You, you're coming down off the tops as well when you're loaded. Correct. Or coming down any hill when you're loaded. And this is why you don't, you don't want to have wrecked feet in New Zealand five days to go out of the ballot because you're not going to be able to dry your feet out. You're not going to be able to walk around. If it's freezing cold, you can't just walk around with no shoes on in camp. You can put those boots on if you buy them, but you just can't do that sort of thing. So you need to, this is why you need to have it before you go over. So mm. and like, I can only wear Canatrax because I've got a wide foot. I found I used to blow out the inside of my, like my big toe, that ball of my foot there. I used to blow that out on joggers and shoes all the time. And it's because I've got a wide foot. And so when I put that Canatrax on and you put on that out part is you, you don't need to be tight. Your toes don't need to be tight. The, width, the side of your foot doesn't need to be tight. Your ankle has to be tight in a shoe. It's what, and that front has to have a bit of movement. And I, I, if people, I know everyone's different, but if you've got the right footing shoes, you won't get blisters. So it's as simple. You won't. You shouldn't have a reason to get blisters. And they can't, people argue that, but I don't get blisters. I don't, my work boots, I don't get blisters. My joggers, I don't get blisters. And I had my feet fitted at that athlete's foot like a few years ago, it's told me what I need. I ordered boots. I bought a high tops from America. Americans are great for, they got like three different widths or four different widths in shoes. So really take a note of that because it makes all the difference. And um, it even affects your knees and your ankles to have that, your feet sitting well in a boot, which adds up to less body fatigue overall. So yeah, certainly, and you know, I guess going back a little further, you'll you'll certainly need some arch support. The majority of us do anyway. Once you're uh, once you're loaded with a pack, the other thing to consider is um, the shape of your heel. You'll notice some people, um, you know, coming down the back of their Achilles have quite a pronounced heel, and um, so a, a a boot without a quite a extentua quite a an extenuated heel cup, um, you'll find if your heel's extenuated but the back of the boot is quite uh, quite straight, then the contact point obviously between your your heel and and the boot is uh, is quite small and and that can lift and uh, obviously um, or ultimately cause cause some blisters. As Toby touched on there, um, when you're lacing up a boot across the bridge of your foot and, and towards the toe, that that doesn't need to be tight. That needs to be actually quite um, you know quite loose, not not you know to the point where it's your laces are are, are flopping around, but it, it doesn't need to be tight at all. Um, and then up to um, you know where your your ankle sort of bends there at your foot. Same again, it, it just needs to uh, have a little bit of pressure there to, to be able to, um, you know, hold that in place. But what does need to be tight is, is those two last lugs that usually are above your ankle uh, on, you know, on a, on a boot. And if you can do that, you can alleviate that issue of your foot slipping forward into the toe box 
and your heel lifting when you're ascending, um, you know, a mountain when you're climbing a mountain. So there's a, a couple of different lacing techniques that I uh, that I need to make a a, uh, a small video for, which I'll I'll do. I've been saying it for ages now, but I'll I'll definitely do that and post it uh, just to um, to show people these couple of techniques that can get that a lot tighter than just a a normal lacing technique. So. So we touched on um, gaiters or oh, socks. Socks play a massive deal. Or I've, since I've discovered these thick bamboo socks, I don't wear anything else ever. It's the same with a lot of guys that run wool socks now. Nylon socks, I don't care what you say, <laughs> they're shit. <laughs> the nylon socks, they stink. They wear out quick. They're just, they're not healthy for your feet. They're just not a, it's like wearing a nylon shirt. You get BO quicker. You sweat differently. Same with socks. Have a good, good dry socks and have one or two dry pairs in that dry bag. Um, when you cross the river and you tie your stuff off, if you can afford when you're crossing that river to put the clothes that you had on in a dry bag, I went under, my boots got wet when I went under, the, everything went under. Um, lost my rangefinder, it died on the spot. It didn't matter because I hurt my shoulder and couldn't shoot anyway after that. But um, yeah, socks, dry socks. If you can rotate your socks, rotate your socks. But generally I've, I've found, I don't know about you, Pat, with my bamboo or woolen socks, they don't deteriorate like a nylon sock does when it's wet. A nylon sock will bunch, it'll creep. The woolen and bamboo socks, when they're wet, they behave like a dry sock. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're going to, uh, you know, take the time and, and spend the money on a good quality boot, then uh, you're, only, uh, you're only cheating yourself to uh, then go and go and buy, you know, a, a really cheap pair of socks. Um, I guess getting back to those boots, regardless of, of whether they're Gore-Tex, uh, non-Gore-Tex or, or whatever, on the West Coast um, or most of New Zealand, you know, over a period of time, they're going to get wet. Um, they're going to get to the point where you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to put wet socks on, you're going to put wet boots on. And... Um, the nice thing about that is once you've walked 50 yards, you won't notice that they're wet. No, good <laughs> boots, all. good boots you won't notice. They're yeah. Just, they're so, just warm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I guess in that sense it becomes um, as much a mind game as a physical game when you're, when you're hunting New Zealand. Uh, the West Coast is one thing. Fjordland's another whole ball game again as far as being wet. Uh, but anyway, we can touch on that in a in another podcast but yeah certainly you know good quality socks uh, no question worth worth the investment so we um as we elevated up to the tops we ended up because like i said we had really good temperatures i and you burn up good this is where everyone always talks about layering you got to have good layering well the reason you have good layering is this is a, the the west coast is probably a, one of the perfect examples where it can be it can be snowing and you want to be in a shirt because you're climbing up through the beach forest, the air is dead still, and you're running and burning as many calories as you'll ever burn, and your body is just running hot. So I think I wore, I just wore a t-shirt climbing, and uh, didn't, I wore my tusk pants and gaiters, and gaiters, I think, I are a must in NZ for stopping that moisture, dirt, everything else. You're always lifting your leg high um, and shin damage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it'll, it'll certainly keep the debris out of your boots uh, with a pair of gaiters. I've kind of, I guess, turned a bit Kiwi uh, when I go over there. Now I, I tend to wear a pair of uh, 
you know, hunt tech shorts, just dry seat shorts, um, and uh, a pair of uh, a pair of skins, or certainly some synthetic thermals. Um, there's certainly some nice wool thermals on the market, but they're just not robust enough um, for for your lower, you know, your your legs. You catch sticks a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, they, they will um, they will get torn to shreds in no time at all. And even polyprops, you know, I mean they they stink like heck, but um, they're, they're cheap. And and if you bust the knees out in them, or you you know throw them away and get another pair. But certainly, um, you know, Sitka and uh, some of the better clothing companies, First Light, make some nice synthetic. Um, uh, bottoms, which um, you know, I'll put under a, a pair of shorts, and then just uh, sort of some, you know, any of those gaiters are as, probably as good as each other. To be quite honest, um, I run Kennetrek and I've had a, a really good run out of them. I've, I've tried Hunt Tech, um, you know, any of the I think the Sitka well, and First Light ones are all all much yeah. much. One, watch the ones that are all press studs because I destroyed some. They were all press studs. Um, and I'd rip the press studs off them in two or three days when I was hunting reds. But yeah. now I've got a set of... Um... I think the, the Huntex, uh, you know, they used to be a, a zipper and a, um, some press studs and I had a, a pretty good run out of them, to be quite honest. But certainly the Velcro ones now, the majority have gone to Velcro. Zip, um, zip's all right. Yeah, just all yeah. over Having all press studs, you're, lot, you're going to catch them and pop Correct. them a good zip. Yeah. Velcro and, and strap, strap under your foot. Is good because they do creep up sometimes. Yeah, they'll lift, get... lift up your car. I know that the ones with the calf. with the hook on the. I've got the ones with the hook that go onto the into my laces and annoy the shit out of me because it kept pulling my laces tight, climbing <laughs> yeah. up those hills. So I end up unhooking them anyway. Um, they're they're right on flat ground, but I don't know why they just don't. I, it's not a great idea, I don't think. But just something to think about. It might just look like they're protecting you, but you yeah, have a think about what terrain you're going to walk through when you're wearing them and you can get them waterproof and non-waterproof if you can get the waterproof ones if you're going to hunt in australia and you want to wear them you're going to sweat your calves will sweat but if you're going to hunt west coast you better to have them than not sort of thing so you can yeah. go through you can walk through shallow water without getting your socks wet um at times so and now and your top layers is when you yeah got to be able able to shed easily when you're climbing if you're starting to climb, because you can start out and it's zero degrees in the bottom of the valley. And yeah, once you get up in that beach forest and the air still and you're sweating your ass off, you don't want to have to sit and pull one out, put this on, roll your sleeves up. You don't. And sweating will get your clothes wet and they won't dry. So the ideal thing is to get to that point where you're warm, but you're not sweating. Because once you start sweating and you wet your clothes, which are not, they won't dry, you'll wet your thermals from sweat. Yeah, that that's, you know... Um... I guess in a nutshell, that's the whole idea of layering is um, you don't want to get to the point where you're sweating at all because if it then does change quite quickly and, and get cold, then you'll end up with hypothermia if, if you've sweated up. So, yeah, you may even, uh, it's maybe even worthwhile to start off a little bit cold at the at the bottom of the mountain. And, it, doesn't take, um, it doesn't take long climbing some of no, that country right. to start you'll, burning. You'll warm up. And, or you'll be and, in pain so you won't think about how cold you are. And just... The key is to to um, you know to pace yourself over that that trip or you know that climb and even the whole week you know in in reality it probably did all of us a bit of good to be um, only only able to be do to do um, you know day trips or afternoon hunts for the first couple of days gave your legs a little bit of a workout going up some shoots and stuff like that and and then once we did 
uh, climb to the tops uh, with some weight. Uh, we were, um, you know, you, you we, we did it pretty well. We, we, we smashed that. We didn't go too hard. We set a pace. I think we stopped once and we had to go. It wasn't quite a thousand meters, but it was a good, it, it'd have to be somewhere between eight and 900 meters from um, base camp to spike camp. And it'd have to, It'd only be 200 metres if you went out and down. Like this, the angle that we climbed up was... Yeah, I think we ranged, we ranged base camp from spike camp once. I think it was 1,050 yards. So uh, in metric, what's that? A bit over 900 metres, I guess. Uh, but, but, Straight down. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, the first couple of hundred is. So, but uh, yeah, you know, so it's, it's just a matter of, of allowing yourself enough time that you'd never get into a situation where you start to panic. Um, to make a uh, destination, um, you know, because you're running out of light or something like that. That's that's when the accidents can and happen. If you if you smash out, say you wanted to climb to the tops, if you smash that out, what you're running on most of the time over there is less food. It's less nutrients too. If you're running little satchels and little bags, you're rationed, but your energy output's higher. So it's not like you're at home hunting. And you can go hard for two days straight, but you're eating a whole lot better food. So you're running on less food and you're running harder. So you need to pace yourself because it'll catch up with you in a couple of days and you'll just be shagged. You just you won't know it till it's on you that you 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 don't have it in you to keep really pushing. But if you if you go that steady pace from the start, even though you're excited and full of beans, you you keep a steady pace from the very start, you'll be able to maintain that for the whole week or or um, well, we were hoping two weeks would actually drawn two of us had drawn the two the ballots. block the same block two unit uh, two ballot periods in a row. So um, we were we were planning to stay in there. So we we weren't in a hurry. We took our time, but we set, we set a pretty good pace up that mountain. We got up there fairly quick. So so our spike camp. This is where you if you if you even if your if your base camp's up high. You probably should be getting all ready for any kind of weather, but if you're spiking, generally the the base camps aren't up right in the tops, exposed. Um, you want to be other than being light climbing up there. You're experiencing some of the wildest weather that that Earth has to have on offer. You're not going to be Arctic cold, but you're going to have it's going to be close, and you could get feet of snow, meters of rain. And God knows how fast the wind. So, tent in the tops is critical for season, isn't it? Yeah, I well look, I think so for peace of mind. But in saying that too, that's where having the ability to get a forecast with say like you know one of your Garmin N reaches or um, old school stuff used to be the mountain radio um, service. That um, yeah, it's not not used too much now. It's it's become obsolete. But certainly, you know, uh, having a having a three or four day weather forecast in advance. Uh, you know, if the weather looks like it's going to turn really really bad, then don't go up the tops. It's kind of simple as that. Even if there's a fifty percent or a there's an eighty percent chance, as we found out, we're supposed to get five good days of weather, but smack bang in the middle. It, we got rain and then at the end it said, yeah, it's going to be raining and it was a perfectly sunny day for that last day. Yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It can come in a little bit quicker, as, as good as the uh, forecast and as accurate as it is usually over there. You know, they can obviously, you know, uh, get, it, get it a little bit wrong. And, and um, 
I think it was as, as much, you know, Alpha, when they say, you know, rain Thursday, uh, which, which they did, I thought it might have been in the afternoon. Well, it came in virtually uh, Wednesday afternoon and, and rain Wednesday night and sort of first thing in the morning Thursday. So that it kind of caught us out a little bit. And um, But again, it, it's, you know... It doesn't not, catch you out if you're prepared. It's not time to panic, you know. I mean, even if you run out of food and all that, you've got plenty of water. You can, you can survive on... Um, you know, no food for quite a while. And I can remember there one day, I think, when we were stuck in the tent, uh, I think I might add a, you know, a couple of pieces of cheese and a cup of coffee. Well, you're not burning any energy. You know, you're just, you're just in a tent. You can be in your bag and and uh, be sleeping if you want to. And, you know, sometimes uh, a, a day of bad weather is a bit of a godsend because it does give you physically a bit of a break. And instead of, um, you know, punching pretty hard to, to try and you know, get everything achieved as far as where you want to hunt and stuff like that. It, it makes you stay in, stay indoors and have a bit of a spell and then the next day you're ready to go again. So so with the sleeping bag up the tops with the temperature, um, with the possibility of it, of it getting minus 10, minus 15. So is it, what's the recommended sleeping bag? A, a, minus, a minus five or a minus 10? Yeah, well, you'll see on uh, sleeping bags that they have uh, a comfort rating and then they have like an extreme rating. Um, and, and usually they give you that uh, that middle rating uh, when they assign a, um, you know, a, a temperature rating to a bag. So minus nine Celsius is minus 15 Fahrenheit. And so people will say, oh, I've got a minus nine bag. But if you look closely, it'll be the comfort rating of that bag will usually be minus four or five, which you can increase uh, by having a, a bag liner. Uh, so, and, and also... It's, just, it's like a body sock that slides into your sleeping bag. Correct, correct. Yep. Um, it, it actually extends the life of your bag too because, you know, body oils and that aren't, aren't getting directly onto that bag. They're getting absorbed by the, the liner. And you can buy them in felt, wool, silk. Yeah, silk very nice and light, you know, and, and it increases the uh, temperature rating by your bag by sort of, you know, two or three degrees. Also, what I tend to carry is um, some really packable uh, down a down jacket and down pants. And you can imagine if it really gets cold, well, you you know you put thermals on, you put those on, you get inside the liner, inside your sleeping bag, inside a four season tent, it could be minus fifteen outside Celsius, and you know you're not going to feel it. With so. your with that second set of dry thermals, and you're wearing the dry socks that were in the bag with the dry thermals, which never leave your tent. Don't ah, ever correct. take that stuff out. So you take it up as the sleep in, or when shit gets really cold. Mm. Those kind of little. And also, if you're uh, if you're in doubt about you know what the weather might do through the day, wake up in the morning and and just push your sleeping bag back into a dry bag. Anything that you cannot afford to get wet, uh, just take five seconds, you know, five minutes at the most, you know, probably two minutes, and just push your bag into a sleep into a dry bag. Make sure your uh, thermals, warm thermals that you've just taken off, put them in a dry bag. Uh, and, and obviously your, um, you know, your, your down pants and jacket that you'll probably take with you on a day hot. Yeah. It's um, a bit of a, it's a, a bit of a bag. safety. Yeah. If you're, if you're up the top, 
and there's no wind and it's a nice day, all it takes is for it to become overcast and the wind to kick up and it drops it by 10 degrees and, and it just makes it all. Yeah, it's Correct. nice to have that. But anyway, yeah, look, this, um, <laughs> there's, there's oodles more to, more to talk mm. about. Um, so we might, uh, what do you think, we'll wind this one up for now and we'll um, do a second part on, uh, on this podcast. Yep. Um, yeah, we've cracked him for over an hour. So we've got to the tops. We've got you setting up. So we'll do a um, second part of a few more safety tips and and um, what we did up the tops and um, tent, a bit more elaborated on tents and things like that and then how to have to look after your game and then we'll move back down and, yeah, we'll go on. We'll get, we'll get your second round. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. And we'll catch up for part two. Yeah, no worries. Well, thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.